You are listening to The Bobcast, a golfing podcast, brought to you by The Open Times. Welcome to The Bobcast, episode 14, Viva Española, as we speak all things Bob McIntyre and golf. I'm Stephen Day, wishing I was in the Spanish sunshine, but dragging me back to reality and all things golf are George Graham and Keith McIntyre, our experts. Welcome back, guys. Good morning, Stevie. How are you? Splendid. Yep. All all prepared for this then, aren't you? Well, I'm prepared to play golf. Uh, I'm sitting here dressed like a golfer. I'm not actually like a golfer. I'm dressed like a golfer because I'm playing this afternoon with uh, with our colleague Richard Bath at a very posh golf course in Edinburgh. So uh, I look like a golfer. I might not act like one. Where, Where have you said you're from? You must have had to lie. I'm a multi-millionaire, I think. I've just lied about my finances to get in this course. Straight into all things, Bob. It looked um, at the Andalusia Masters, it was going horribly wrong, but then there was a recovery. Keith? Yeah, um, again, as is becoming customary, uh, when Bob has a, a, a not great start or a bad round, I then get a torrent of abuse from George Graham at some point, who just turns himself into a golf expert and tells me how he would have done it differently. So on Thursday, um, I mean, it was it was an awful start. He had a nine over par 80. And again, George and I were trading text messages and we sorted out everything that was wrong when we knew it was all about psychology and it was this, it was that, and it was the expectation and who was it going to be a flash in the pan and then he just made us look really foolish over over the weekend. I mean, nobody, I mean, we didn't think he was going to make the cut. You just don't make the cut when you shoot a nine over par in the first round. And uh, he then went out and shot a 69 on the Thursday when just nobody was breaking par. Uh, and he made the cut by about a shot. Um, I think it was was he a hundred and twentieth, George, or something like that after the first round. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of stopped watching him. If I'm being honest, um, yeah. I thought he was so far out of it, and I was amazed on Friday night when I was looking at the where the projected cut was, and I thought he's going to get in. <laughs> Is yeah. that possible? Yeah. I mean, it was about one eighteen, one nineteen, one twenty, and he ended up finished uh, in a tie for twenty fourth place, which was incredible just nobody played better friday saturday and sunday than he did i have to correct you because you did mention this but the the only two that were better than him in those three days were uh, rosner who shot 212 and beslin who shot 213 bob shot 214. if you're going to come on to this with facts and figures george and correct me this is the last one i'm going to do i'm not i'm not having this (laughs) um okay Nearly nobody played better than him over the weekend, so he'll be he'll be regretting his Thursday. Clearly, he'll be regretting his Thursday. But it was um, the winning score. Uh, a guy called John Catlin, an American guy, was two over par. You you just never see tournaments won with scores over par, and it was the the worst winning score in the European Tour for almost thirty years, which was also at Valderrama. Uh, it was Sandy Lyle won uh, in Valderrama back in the in the nineties, um, which there was a, an interesting tweet that Bob retweeted from one of the players. I think it was Paul Waring said people were asking him if uh, the course was set up really difficult uh, and and was unfair and was that the reason the scoring was so high? And uh, Paul Waring put there was four reasons why uh, the scoring was so high. One is Valderrama. Two, the number of trees, three, 20 mile an hour winds, and four, it's Valderrama. And it's just a really, really difficult course. 
Um, so his performance over the weekend will actually give him an enormous amount of confidence going into uh, the US Open a week on Thursday uh, because it will be a very similar uh, tough test. So from the depths of despair to a really, really solid finish, um, it was excellent. It was really good. I think after the, we spoke about the, the last podcast, but after his performance in Wales, that he was going to have to show a lot of sort of mental toughness to come back from what was a pretty poor performance from him. And on Thursday, it just looked like, ah, oh, geez, this, it's all collapsing round about him. But um, it, I think he showed that he's, he's got the metal. You know, he's just got to try and get some uh, some consistent form. Well, it had everything, didn't it? He had everything from eagles to uh, triple bogeys over the four days. It was incredible, the, the scorecard. But, you know, so did a, a host of other really, really exceptional players. So I think it was just one of these things. A really tough course was playing at its toughest. I think that's as simple as that. I daren't watch. It's one of these things. If I watch somebody who's, who's doing well or badly, I'll make them do the opposite. But when I looked at the scores and how it was going, it really showed a what a positive mental attitude to come back from that and draw yourself up. I mean, I, I don't know how you guys play sports and so on, but Badly. <laughs> well, there you go. I walked into that one, but you know, it's, I, I would struggle to concentrate on just the next point if I was playing tennis or badminton, because my yeah. mental state would be, Oh, I've, I've lost these three and Oh, they're bigger than me and faster than me. Whereas with tennis or cricket or whatever, you know, you've got to have that attitude. And he definitely just, just pulled it out of the bag. Even even at amateur level, I mean, George will, I'm sure, will be the same as me. If you have a really bad hole, amateurs don't really have the ability to put that behind them, step onto the next tee and just say, right, that's gone now, I'm just going to play my normal game. You know, amateurs are still raging with themselves uh, when they step on the next tee, try to hit the ball twice as hard to get it out of their system and... You know, there is, there's it's bounce back ability, I think, is the, the phrase that's used. And these guys do it. And I think that's where the caddies come in as well. If you've got a good caddy, the caddy can calm you down. Um, say, look, forget, you can't do anything about what's happened in the past. Uh, and I think that's where both George and I, when we were talking on Thursday, were concerned because he followed up a triple bogey at, it was just after the tournament, it was about the 11th, with a double bogey. And at that point, you think, oh, no, he's gone. You know, mentally, he's gone here. But then he bounced back from then on in. So that, that just shows you the, the difference. And the US Open, that begins on the 17th, ends on the 20th at mm. Winged Foot. Am I saying that right? It's not Winged Foot, is it? It's Winged Foot. Well, it's America, so they can pronounce it how the hell they want, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's Winged Foot. So he's going in there with a, a good mental attitude and a good result. What delights does this course have for him? Well... If you there's a bit of a myth about the US Open that it's set up to be I mean it is intended to be set up to be incredibly difficult and it used to be the case that anyone who broke par over the four days would be in with a shout. But last year it was one with a sixteen under par total. So and it's generally the scores have been getting a, a little bit easier uh, or a, a little bit lower over the last few years. But by all accounts the setup of this course is brutal. So I, you kind of expect it to be a bit like Valderrama. Anything in and around par is probably going to keep you in uh, in the hunt. Um, so that that's always been the way they've done it. George and I were talking about it the weekend. It's not great for the spectators, 
I don't want to see Tiger Woods or Bob McIntyre struggling around a golf course. I want to see them shooting birdies and eagles. But these are a test of endurance. So I'm, I'm not convinced it's the right way to go, but that's the way that they've set it up to make it as difficult as possible. I mean, they, some of these courses make they make these players look like jobs. That's how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you an intelligent question here, and say you probably know more about Wingfoot than I do. Is, is there anything in, in the course... I mean, obviously, you'll not know exactly how it's going to be set up, but anything in the course that will play to Bob's strength? Well, his driving accuracy, I think, is very narrow. From what I've, I've read, it's incredibly narrow uh, fairways, and if you're in the rough, it can be really uh, penal if you're in the rough. So if his driving clicks, uh, I think that's that's where he'll have a, a, an advantage. So it's all about getting the ball in the right place. It's long, it's narrow, all, all the things that, you know, golfers don't really want so if he can get his, his driving together it, it should should work for him um i mean i don't know if you saw any of the golf from america but uh there's if you catch it on youtube there was a the, rory mcelroy did had a shot in the rough in that east lake course they were playing at the weekend um he had the, a lake to go over he was about five yards off the lake in the thick rough I don't know how long he had to go, 150 yards or something like that, oh, and he did the usual two gauges to set it up and all the rest of it, and then chunked it 10 yards into the lake. You just don't see that with professionals. So when they're on these really tough courses, it does sometimes make them look like us. I had a wee look at uh, their website, and at usopen.com slash course.html, you can actually get a, a lovely wee flyover of the course now it's maybe not how it's going to be set up for the actual event but have you guys tried that with any co golf courses i like the, the the courses um and i'm actually i was going to mention later on i'm going to montrose at the weekend to play the two courses here um, and, and on their website they've got a uh, you know flyover videos which is absolutely frightened the life out of me i'm, I'm I've, I've already <laughs> ordered balls off of ebay because i've just i've got to lose hundreds of them um but that is quite smart. In fact, the, the one thing about the US Open, uh, the PGA, USPGA, the, their website has a short tracker, so you can follow your, your guy so in graphics, even if you can't see him in a television screen. And it's actually, I thought, I found it very interesting. Um, but yeah, the, the flyover is really, really quite smart. Our office has got, has got a drone, hasn't it? We'd just get him up to Glenn Crewton with his drone and he could do it for you uh, guys. Well, they're put, they're, they are uh, putting putting together a new website, and I suspect that that will be one of them. I've not heard them to say that, but I suspect I'd be amazed if um, if that's not included in the website. Are we going to be able to track you playing golf today, Keith? Have you got a wee tracker in there? Are, you go, are we going to have a wee infographic that we can follow you around and judge you on every every single shot? You want me to be chipped, Stevie? Is that what you want? <laughs> <laughs> I well, you know, I could I could just leave my, my phone on and I could you know do a live commentary for the podcast. It would be the dullest live commentary you'd ever <laughs> have. But no, I'm looking forward to playing with, with Richard. Richard uh, Richard's a big bloke. Now I've only played with him once before, and he just tries to smash the ball out of the park. So it'll be interesting to see. Talking of Bob and his progress and his great comeback, uh, it was suggested. Uh, we talk about great golf sporting comebacks. Uh, Tiger Woods springs to mind, uh, winning for him in the Masters 2019 after many years of injury. Winning by one stroke, I discovered when I looked it up. What's, what do you think is the greatest golf sporting comeback? 
Well, I, I, I obviously a bit like you looked at your when you sent us the link when you say that it was suggested. You suggested it. Um, <laughs> so I looked at the link and I've done a, another wee bit of research, and there's quite a lot in that link. There's quite a lot of people who'd suffered, um, been in car accidents and suffered illness, and they, they came back. The I, don't, I mean, I'm sure Keith will know this, but the largest ever comeback in a tournament, in a, a major tournament. Do you know what it is, Keith? Uh, I'm guessing it's between either Nick Faldo who came back against Greg Norman or maybe Paul Laurie in the Open. Paul Laurie um, is a, you, you might not know Stevie, but Paul Laurie uh, went into the, he made up 10 shots in the last day, which is quite remarkable. Um, and I mean, part of the reason for that, Van der Veld, who was leading, he uh, he just took a, a crazy turn. And uh, doing absolutely mental things. However, I think uh, even at that, to make up ten shots is, is something else. No matter who you're playing, it's you've, it's you know, golf. Although at, at that level, you really are playing against an opponent. Have um, you ever played Carlisle George? Because I haven't I, I played it once. It is comfortably the most difficult golf course I have ever played. I reckon I could make up or lose 10 strokes on somebody in two holes in that course. <laughs> you, see, you go in the rough, you've just got no chance. So I completely understand the, the turnaround in that. It was, it was set up brutally that year. The, the largest uh, comeback in the US Open, because that's what Bob's playing, obviously, was Johnny Miller in 1973, who made up six shots uh, from a group of players, uh, amongst them Arne Palmer. And strangely enough, he was in that um, that link that you gave us, Stevie. Um, I think in nineteen seventy six or seventy five, he started getting the yips, and that's a good question for you there, Stevie. Okay. He started getting the yips, and by the what? time I think nineteen seventy seven, he just did he wrapped it all together. What's the uh, yips, George? Well, it's it's when uh, a player's putting, and I, I mean all sorts of things that could be. I mean, Keith might have a better explanation than I, but I think it's things that are just holding on to the, the putter too long, the putter shaking in your hand. And it seems that um, you've heard the thing, I don't know if you've heard it in darts as well, that the darts players hold on to the dart too long. Yeah. I think once this happens to them, it, it, they find it almost impossible to shake, you know. And uh, this guy who was who was reckoned to be one of the best ball strikers of, of his generation got the yips and his career just crumbled. There's been a few. I mean, uh, Bernard Langer got the terrible yips. Uh, I mean, it... With the putter, Stevie, is to, essentially you can't even draw the putter back. You're so tense over, and it tends to be over very small putts. You're so tense, you just you have a mental block of getting the putter back, and that's why Bernard Langer went on to the big long putter, the, the broom handle putter, to make it easier. But it's destroyed a few careers. Uh, having the, some people get it like me, get it on chips, uh, little chip shots rather than, than putts. I'm not bad in putting, but I've had the yips quite a few times with sort of 30 yard chips and just find it impossible to thin the ball and all sorts of things. It's a dreadful thing for golfers. Well, it may be a dreadful thing for golfers, but it's increased my knowledge again. <laughs> yeah. One other comeback, which is not an individual comeback, and it's still the best golf I've ever watched, uh, and reasonably recently was what's now become known as the miracle of Medina in the in the Ryder Cup. But I can't even remember when it was about six years ago, eight years ago, when Europe were getting an absolute hammering after the, the first two days in the Ryder Cup, and. Still halfway through the singles on the Sunday, they were still like six points behind. 
And I don't, I don't know if you sat up and watched it, George, but I have one of the best nights. I was up at a golf club watching that, and honestly, it turned, you'd have thought you were at a football match, the cheering and the roaring, and eventually Europe won by half a point, I think, or one point, I can't remember what it was. Um, but from nowhere, they were holding putts left, right, and centre. They were chipping in, and the Americans were completely shell-shocked. It, it was just fantastic. And I think that was the first Ryder Cup after Seve Ballesteros had died. Um, it was quite quite emotional. So that's still one of my favourite memories uh, on go- of golf. And it was a hell of a comeback for a, for a team game at that time. Talking of comebacks, how's your golf been for the last couple of weeks? Don't talk to me. I'm 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 playing like a I'm playing like as a, an old man. I can play fifteen decent holes, and then concentration goes. And I play the last three or four holes like a complete novice golfer. So my handicap's now up to eight, uh, which is quite good because I'm playing Richard this afternoon, so I guess make an extra shot against Richard. Um, but I'm really struggling to finish around the golf, and I genuinely think it might just be an age thing. Uh, as you get towards the end of the round, your concentration levels, your tiredness, it makes me sound like a bit 80, but I, I do think there, there's something in that. So I'm not having a wonderful time on the golf course at the moment. I'm sure George is shooting the lights out. Uh, no, I know, I don't think so. I've played, played quite a lot of golf recently, but not, it's not making me any better. But what I should mention is on Saturday, um, Glenn Cruton. I played in the I played in the John McEachan Memorial. Uh, John died a few years ago of brain tumour, and I have to say, with absolute all honesty, I've never met a, a man that's been so well respected um, amongst you know, all different sort of fields, and especially in sports. He, he was a great um, help and support to all the sports clubs and and. In Oban and and the sound, but uh, the, it's a it's a fundraiser for local charities, and the, I've just spoken to his brother this morning who organised it, and he tells me they've raised seven grand oh, for local charities. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I should say in that I was playing very well, um, and until they come up with an idea which I think is preposterous in a golf course of a gin tent. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this mid mid play? Yes, uh, and it, it wasn't. It wasn't. About maybe three holes after that, <laughs> I just felt a bit. Three <laughs> was, gins after that. Three <laughs> gins after that. Well, it was three gins. I can't even lie. That's exactly what it was. Um, which uh, at the time I was thinking, why have no got these at every hole? But <laughs> I gave my absolute felt a bit. So about the eleventh hole, I, I just I'd felt a bit. Um, oh, but it was a good day. Uh, it was a bit different because obviously the to follow guidelines for social distance and all the rest of it, but I haven't said that, it's still a great day, everybody enjoyed themselves. Right, a different type of golf. I know I've sent, I've sent you this in, in preparation, but have you heard of disc golf and frisbee golf? Strangely, last night, um, after much nagging by my wife, we, we booked a couple of nights in Chief Hydro at the end of September, and I see that they've got a frisbee golf course. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be trying to out Stevie. So well, I you think they're taking absolutely no get, chance. Get some gin in you, George, and get the frisbee out. <laughs> and then end up like my wife. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know what frisbee golf is, you don't have a club, you don't have a ball, you have a frisbee. Well, or a golf disc, because frisbee is apparently copyright. Instead of the the hole, you have a kind of net, and it's set out like a golf course, and it can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be too flat, and the idea is you start from the tee, you make your way down, and you get your frisbee in the net, and that's how you play it. Does it appeal? 
I think it sounds like heresy. <laughs> I've suddenly turned into an old, boring traditionalist. <laughs> okay, well, there's. Uh, a, yeah. I can't throw a frisbee anyway, so it doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. I think that's. I think it's maybe a charity thing that should be done. A charity day of frisbee golf for for all these all these professional and amateur golfers. Just try your uh-huh. hand at that. I'll leave you to organise that one, Stevie. Let me know when it is and I'll be washing my hair. Will do. <laughs> right, my silly question of the week. How many dimples on a regulation golf ball? Did you give us this in advance? No, I, 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 didn't give you, I didn't give you this. I, do you know, I thought it's, it's partly a silly question, partly a knowledgeable question, and the person who gets closest to it wins. No, I've, I've oh, got really? in front of me. <laughs> You, is, there, is there an actual answer? Is there a set number of dimples? There are a set number of dimples on a regulation golf ball. Right. Well, I'm not going to cheat like John, so I will guess 450. Oh, that's not a bad guess, that. And George, did you actually Google that there? Well, I quickly Googled and it said between 300 and 500, so... Well, according to the, the two sources I found, 336 dimples on a regulation golf ball. Is it a prize, Stevie? Because I'm the only one that gave an answer. George cheated. <laughs> the prize is you get to join in my Frisbee golf tournament. Oh, there you are, Keith. Well done. <laughs> oh, Congratulations. <laughs> and do you know why there are dimples? It must be to do with aerodynamics, is it not? That make it make the ball spin, I would imagine. Is well, some... according to scientificamerican.com, and you can look it up, dimples on a golf ball create a thin, turbulent boundary layer of air that clings to the ball's surface. This allows the smoothly flowing air to follow the ball's surface a little further round the back side of the ball, therefore decreasing the size of the wake. So it must go further, I would think. I think that's what they're trying to say. And on that really positive, entertaining note, Stevie... <laughs> yeah, I think we should probably finish. Thank you once again for being my experts and guiding me through the weird and wonderful world of golf. And we'll see you next time on the Bobcast. Okay. Cheers, Thanks, the Bobcast was presented by Stephen Day, Keith McIntyre, George Graham, and the editor was Stephen Day. And it was a YVEX Media production for The Open Times. You can contact the programme by emailing bobcast at opentimes.co.uk.